speak, that we would hear your voice in the midst of everything. We would hear what you're trying to say to us, Lord Jesus, this morning. Amen. So my plan is to speak a little bit and then give you a chance to ask some questions. Then we'll have a time of prayer. Then we'll end the service. Is that right? Brilliant. So my wife and I were leading a church probably about the same size as this, maybe, maybe a little bit long, bigger because we had quite a lot of children as well, uh, in North London in a place called Barnet, uh, along with a team of other people. Uh, we'd started it a few years before. We'd taken over an, an old building that uh, some elderly people had given up and said, could you take over and start another church? And it began to bubble with life. And uh, at the same time, my wife and I would go around the country and go and speak at other things and conferences and uh, kind of church weekends and things like that. And there was a point where my wife went to an event by herself, not so much to speak, but to just go in the congregation. And it was run by one of these uh, folks from America who was quite enthusiastic. The thing they seemed most enthusiastic about was getting money out of the congregation. So um, what they did uh, at one point is they said, take out your wallets, wave them before the Lord, and now empty them into the bucket as it comes by. And it was before the days of you know, standing orders and uh, credit cards and things. So uh, this is over 30 years ago. And my wife said to the Lord, uh, because when you're having one of those experiences, the most important thing is to talk to God about it. So she, was, she said to the Lord, Lord, I'm really grateful I did not bring my purse. <laughs> so uh, at that point, she heard a voice in her own heart, and that voice in her own heart, which she recognized as being God, because she's walked with God for many years, was, well, what have you brought with you, dear? <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, and so she said, she, I didn't, she said, I didn't listen to most of the rest of the talk, I was just sitting there going, well, what have I brought? Because that seemed to be the question that the Lord was asking. And, and she said, I, I knew I had time. I was doing all sorts of other things, but I had time and I could give it. Uh, not so much to this uh, preacher from America, uh, but somewhere. And she came back and said, I think I'm meant to give 10% of my time somewhere else in the world where it's just me giving and I'm not getting anything from it. And I said, do you know where? And she said, no. And I thought, Thank you, Lord, because blessed are those who aim at nothing, because they will surely hit it. Um, you can't go somewhere if you don't know where to go. So I, I thought, at least we're free of this kind of idea that's bubbling around in her head. And about two, two months later, uh, early one morning, she woke me up, and she said halfway between us being asleep and awake, she had a, a kind of picture in her head of a letter arriving that started, Dear Evangelist Sharon, please will you come and help us? And then it, it was all handwritten, and then it went all blurry. She said, I think I'm going to get that letter in the post. So I, again, as a really dutiful husband, said, well, if it arrives, we'll know you're a prophet. And she wasn't impressed by that. Uh, and she, she says now that she regretted ever telling me because I just poured a bucket of cold, cold water over her head. Uh, but anyway, it arrived a bit later, and then she felt better. Uh, and uh, so this letter came from a place called Tanzania. And it was in Bayer, Tanzania, which is on the Zambian border. Uh, so if you imagine Tanzania, which if you imagine Africa, right over here on the east is Tanzania. If you go from one side of Tanzania into the, into the middle, you then have the border to Zambia. And I'll show you a map in a moment. 
Um, how are we going? Can we put up the, that lot of stuff up there? It gives you something to think about when you're not listening to me. Um, so at that point, we started a process, which I would describe as breadcrumbs, which is that God uh, decided by his spirit to get us not just sitting in England and vegetating and trying to do local church and go around and doing conferences, but started to try and lead us down a direction. And we call that breadcrumbs. Why do we call it breadcrumbs? Well, uh, Jesus uh, says that he is the bread of life, doesn't he? And if, have you heard that before? So then he says that we are his body. That means you and I are bits of bread. Is that fair? Now, what is a bit of bread? Well, when it's as crummy as us, it's a breadcrumb. So I kind of look at the people like you and me, and I say, oh, crumbs. Um, because all of us have a little bit of the bread of life in us. We have a little bit of Jesus in us. Particularly if we've become a Christian, that bit of Jesus is alive and active and beginning to bubble and trying to go places. But we're not perfect. Uh, the Bible says that we have this glory kept uh, in jars of clay. And as some people say, not just jars of clay, but cracked jars of clay or crack pots. Um, and that's you and me. We're just ordinary people, but we've got the glory of God living in us. So how do we follow God? How do we follow Jesus? Partly we follow Jesus by following the Holy Spirit, the invisible God, and all the teachings of Scripture. But partly we follow Jesus by looking for Jesus in the lives of other people and seeing what he's prompting and then following that through, following a trail of breadcrumbs. So Sharon got in an airplane, went over to Tanzania. When she got there, she took no money with her. She went round a few communities. She preached in a few places. She was looking for what God was doing. And she met a chap called Kenneth. And this chap was clearly serving his community. Although he had no resources whatsoever, he was serving his community. He particularly wanted to talk about serving widows and orphans. And uh, she went one time and started doing a little bit of children's work and some preaching in church. But she said to him, what can we do? And he had an idea which was to have a piece of field and give it to some widows who had orphans. And the aim was, and particularly at that time, there was a lot of HIV, lots of AIDS around. And uh, I think we should answer that, don't you? No. Um, so, and and she, they gave bits of field away. And it was the first experiment. We were not development people. We were Christians connecting with Christians and uh, a few years later, uh, we went over and we realized that there were loads of children who were not in school. And we asked Kenneth, why are the children not in school? And he said, because they can't afford the uniform. So we then said, well, what happens if we get uniform for 25 children? What happens? And he said, well, well then you could go down to the, the head teacher and he might ask you to pay a, a fee towards the desks. Uh, but probably he'll take them in. And we worked out that 25 children, we could actually get each of these children into school for about 40 pounds. And uh, that would be a year in school for about 40 pounds. And so that, that, what we did is we took them down to the market, we bought them school uniform, we went to see the head teacher, we got all these 25 children, came back to our church in England and said to people like you and me, uh, any of you want to stand with us and take responsibility for one of these children? And as a result of that, 25 children were sponsored by the end of the first service. 
we worked it out that £3.50 a month became £42, and the money started going into the church bank account and coming out of the church bank account. And it took a few years before the number of children on the program in Tanzania grew initially from 25 to what is now 2,300. Uh, some of those children now 30 years later have been through university, come back and been a major part of, our, of society. Uh, these are children who would never have had a chance to go to secondary school because of the fees, let alone go on to college or go on to university. But they now have uh, proper professional jobs and they are sponsoring children themselves. They are, they've transformed society because they have come back and their families now have enough to be able to serve other people and et cetera, et cetera. And we've, as I said, we've been working with that community for 30 years. There are now 17 different locations where that uh, program is run. Uh, and still, we ask for £3.50 a month from sponsors for what's going on in Tanzania. If you look at the leaflet on your table, which you'll see is a bit like this, you will find that program, uh, but it, which is the Tanzania program, but you'll also find, which is the first one, there's a Kenya program, an India program, and a Romania program. But one thing you'll notice is it never mentions Zambia at all. I'll tell you why. And the main reason is this, that we came up with this radical idea that if somebody gave £42 a year to support a child in their education and a meal a week, it, these days we've been able to buy school uniform, school kit, a meal a week, uh, and medical cover for every one of the primary school level children, still for £42 in Tanzania. And our promise to a sponsor is if you give £42, we will spend £42 on the child or more. And how could we do more? Because some people give us more. And there was a point where we actually sat down and said, this is a bit weird. We've, we're doing all this stuff and it's growing and growing in Tanzania. And our treasurer from the church so think of a church like this one. Imagine the person who's running the money saying, I've got a problem. The problem is that 65% of the money going through the church is now not being spent on the church, but going overseas. So I think, he said, you need to have a separate charity. So we started another charity, and that's the Grassroots Trust. And it was designed, and in fact, we actually said to the, to the tax people when we were setting up the charity... Uh, we just want a charity to do anything Christian. And they said, oh, you can't do that. You have to say what it's for. Okay, we said, well, we want it to help people who are poor, and we want it to help people you know, who are Christian do Christian stuff, whether it's poverty or Christian. They said, well, that's two objects. The lawyer said, that's two objects. One is the advancement of the Christian faith. That is charitable. We said, okay, we'll put that in. And the second one is the alleviation of poverty which means making poverty less harmful to people. So we put that in, and then they said, and where do you want to do it? We said, well, we, we definitely want to do it in Tanzania, but we want to be able to do it in other places too. And they said, right, but where do you want to do it? You have to define where you want to do it. And we said, well, the one place we don't want to do it is in Barnet. And they said, why? Because I said, we well, we've got a church here in Barnet. And the lawyer said, I think I can swing that. So it says, you can, and our, our trustee says, you have to do the advancement of the Christian faith or the alleviation of poverty anywhere in the world but Barnet. <laughs> hey, the law is a beautiful thing. So, um, 
So anyway, we, we slowly got better and better at going over and serving that church. That was one church. It is now 28 churches in the Tanzania region, 17 of which have grassroots centers where there's child sponsorship. It also has churches in Malawi, it has a few churches in Zambia, a few churches in the Congo, uh, which are all part of its network. And Kenneth, lovely man, he's, he's now dead, gone to heaven. And, uh, but there was a point where we had about five, 600 children, and he said to me, as we sat there with all these children being fed and their weekly meal, and I said, uh, Kenneth, um, how do you feel about all this? He said, you, you know why this all started, don't you? And uh, I said, no, I don't know why it all started. Uh, but I think I do, but clearly the way you've asked that is not that. And he said, well, we had a, a month of prayer and fasting. And he said, this happened a few years before. We had a month of prayer and fasting because it says in um, James chapter 1, verse 27, that the religion that God requires is to look after widows and orphans. So we had a month of prayer and fasting. He said, we didn't eat for a month, and we didn't drink for the last three days. Uh, and we were asking the Holy Spirit and God the Father to show us how we could serve widows and orphans, because we had nothing ourselves, so we couldn't help everyone else. We didn't know how to do it. So we put this time aside to say, Lord, this is what you require. How can we do it? He said, on the last day of this uh, month, we had a wonderful service in the church, and then we had a big uh, meal. Everybody brought food, and we ate food. And I came home as pastor, he said, after that service, saying, what a wonderful month of prayer and fasting, because we had a great program for the church. And he said, I came back to my house, and my wife spoke to me as a prophet. And, I, and she said to me, so Kenneth, what difference has it made? And he said, well, we had a wonderful month of prayer and fasting. We have confessed to the Lord that we haven't done this and we're still not doing this. But we've put it before God. And she said, yes, but what difference has it made? And he said, I sat there and I said aloud, we'll just have to wait and see what God does. He said, a year later, Sharon turned up. Six months later, she came back again. He said, here we are, four years later, 400 children, orphans, almost all of them, many of them. And many of the women who, uh, who are looking after these children are, uh, are grandmothers. Uh, in Africa, you call a, a, a child an orphan if one parent has died. It's just a bit confusing. They're called a double orphan if both parents died. But, you know, that's, you know, this part of the world, we kind of say you have to have both parents dead to be an orphan. There was a point where... We only sponsored orphans. And then there was a point where there was this little girl, and Sharon said to her, uh, tell me about your parents. And she was about six, and she didn't know that she was not meant to mention them. Um, and she said, oh, my mum's over there. And, and, uh, and it became clear that she was not an orphan. And uh, yet she was clearly exceptionally poor. So we changed the policy. We just support people because they need help, not because they're orphans. Otherwise, she'd have to go home and kill her parents and then come back, and that would be a bit silly. Um, so, uh, in essence, that's how we started. Now, why have we got programs in these other countries? Well, back to breadcrumbs. We had gone through a process in Tanzania of starting following the breadcrumbs. Then we got there and started just 
you know, the next two or three trips, we started with that project which I talked about with the, with the, um, the land. It wasn't a great success, that, but we gave some money and Kenneth and his team used it how they felt they should. And I call that bless. So breadcrumbs is like following the breadcrumbs. And then there comes a point where you try and raise some money and you give it to people, but without obligation to go see how you can use it. And then you go away and you come back and you bless them, but you're not obliged to do anything next time. And nor are they obliged particularly to do anything except to ha say how they used it. And it's a very lovely relationship, that, because uh, you, you've just handed the money over, but you are expecting something to happen because God has got a plan, but you're expecting the whole responsibility to be with the person that you've given it to. Now, I like that because it creates indigenous leadership. It's nothing to do with us and our ideas. It's to do with them and their ideas, and they're in charge, and we get out the way, and it's not tainted by this strange imbalance of power and resources. It's just left with them trying to use that. A number of pastors around the world have said to me when we started doing that, they said, you're the first people who've just trusted us to know what God is calling us to do and, uh, and flow with it. So anyway, that's what we call bless. And build is this really, it's the tricky part of life where you go, we really want to do this together. We want to work with you together. When we get 42 pounds to support a child, we need to be able to prove that that 42 pounds was spent on the child. And we need to work with you over an extended period of time. Now, we do that in every one of our projects now. If we're building, we've got to the point where the relationship with the local community is not we're, they're doing it and we're paying them to do it. It's we're doing this together. We're caring about everybody that you're serving. We're interested in what's happening in your churches. We're going to hear from you if something awful happens, and we're going to be praying with you, and you're going to be praying with us. But we're together in this and, and building together. And uh, that same process began to happen in relationships with people in Kenya, in relationships to people in Chennai, in India, relationships to people in Romania, uh, and uh, in the most recent past, in 2019, I bumped into somebody at a conference in London who had been involved in Ndola, uh, Zambia. And he was working for a big Christian agency, working with this organization in Ndola called the Kabushi Entrepreneurship Vocational Training College. It's always got a long name. Uh, and uh, lots of places. And he's saying, I'm really worried about them because the organization I'm working for only does three-year projects. We're now at the end of the second year, about to move into the third year, and I don't know what will happen to them after that. They're working with 150 churches in their community, but this whole idea of NGOs to run three-year projects is great when the economy is already functioning because you can begin to start with your training, you can leave with everybody doing brilliantly. But it's like they've done two years and they're not doing brilliantly yet and there's a famine coming. He said, but we are running a fantastic program over there. And part of the program was to train people to start their own businesses and work together in their communities to do this. And the more I listened to him, the more I thought, what you're doing, our friends in Tanzania need. So I then said, where exactly is it? Because it's the first time I'd asked the where exactly is it. He said it was in Indola, Zambia. And I went, oh, no. Well, let me explain why. 
Well, these are all the places we work now. Um, but Ndola and Zambia is there. Now, the only way to describe there is think about the middle of Africa and then go slightly down a bit. It's right in the middle, smack in the middle. So Tanzania, you can see that one up there, is right on the east coast. Angola kind of goes down to the south. So if you think of the clock face like this, and 6 o'clock is here, that's the middle of Africa. We're about there. And it's in quite a strange place because the Democratic Republic of Congo, which has been very insecure, has this strange kind of bit that sticks down. Uh, but part of the reason Angola is, stays in Zambia is that Zambia desperately wants to keep it because it's got a lot of copper. And it therefore should be an incredibly rich part of Zambia. The only problem is that they've sold all the copper to the Chinese, and the Chinese come and take it, and the local community don't get a great deal of benefit from it. That's the short version. Use Wikipedia to find out the rest. Um, so there, that's where Andola is. Now, why wouldn't I want to go there? I wouldn't want to go there for a number of weird reasons. The first was, the person I'd met at the conference was saying there was a big agency working there. Why would a small agency like us want to go where a big agency was already working? Stupid. There's a big world and there's a lot of need. Where we are in, in Tanzania and in other places, there are always places which nobody else is working. So why would I go there? But Alan said this big agency was pulling out just when the country was beginning to face a famine. Okay. Then there's this other organization that's working there who are called Beyond Ourselves. Now, you might say, well, who are they? Well, the name Jody there, she used to work for grassroots in Tenerife working with drug addicts. And she was one of our staff for a number of years, and then she left grassroots to start a separate charity with her family who ran the BMW dealerships in North London. And they started this charity sponsoring children in, guess where, Ndola. So I'm going, well, we really don't want to start anything in Andola. Another major reason was that the people we knew who were friends in Tanzania had lots of other friends in Zambia, and they weren't in Andola, and they really wanted us to go to Zambia to work with them. So that seems like an obvious thing to do. So, okay, and then another thing is about the same time as I was about to do my first trip to Andola, I came to preach here. And I met David and others who went, oh, we, talk, we do this amazing thing called Mechanics for Africa. And I'm going, and where's that? Ndola. I'm thinking, oh, well, I really don't want to go to Ndola. There is really no point in going there. The only purpose of going there would be to take my friends from Tanzania to go there to learn from all these other people. Obvious. And then I got in the airplane, having decided to take my friends from Tanzania and Alan, and we went to go and have our training at the Kabushi Entrepreneurship Vocational Training Center. And we arrived, and it, what you don't see in those words, if you don't know Ndola, is the word kabushi is like the roughest end of town. The absolute roughest end of town. Kabushi Entrepreneurship Vocational Training Center is a vocational training center, which means it's, it's not a secondary school. It's designed to give training to young people who have failed to get into secondary school in things like catering, in things like carpentry, in things like um, computer messing around and sewing, so that they have some way to earn a living when they come out of their teenage years. 
That's what it's for. And it was, it's been put in the roughest end of town. If you get there, you'll find that it is not posh. It is not like a colonial's place. It doesn't have lawns. It is rough. And um, Melbourne, who started it, is a normal Zambian who was a pastor who started getting worried about teenagers and tried to set this up and started finding ways to get money into this place in order to train these young people to do catering, to do carpentry. And one of the ways he did it was connect to agencies over the seas. So he was connected to Raising Families, which is part of Samaritan's Purse, and was getting them to fund his team to go out into all these communities and bring their program of trying to train people to do businesses. And at the same time, if you see a picture of this place, it is quite amusing. Uh, oh, there we are, some lovely children. These are some of our lovely children. Those, those are some of the lovely parents who cater for the lovely children. There is KVTC. Now, for those of you who've been to Andola, I don't know how many of you have been to Andola and been to Mechanics for Africa, it doesn't look like that. And part of the reason it doesn't look like that is because what you did with Mechanics for Africa is completely different. It's really posh and brilliant. But it's, it initially was very, very much like, this is a beautiful place, we're going to create the best training for, for people to do. Now, this was run by Zambians, and they, you see that truck there? If you could get a bit closer to that truck, you'll find it has no wheels on it. It's very typical of a place down the poor end of a town like Ndola. I asked them, what's the truck for? And Melbourne said, well, one of the ways we raise funds for this is we have three trucks, and we go out and we've got a government contract to move all the grain from the fields uh, to the, right, to the to warehouses. And we do that once a year, and that provides us enough money to run this place. Uh, but then we're looking for other ways and other ways and other ways. Lots of ducking. He said, what we train other people to do, which is to start businesses, we do ourselves. And uh, you know, they were just taking the wheels off and putting them back on again in a normal way. Um, and um, so the question which struck me as I kind of did this whole thing um, is that why am I here? What are the breadcrumbs of this situation? Well, the first thing that was... Uh, obvious is that God was in it. I'll tell you how I know that. I got on a plane to get to Andola. It's one of the most difficult places in the world to get to. And I landed in Lusaka, and then I had a little plane from Lusaka to Andola. I got on the plane. It had 20 people on it. And in the, the seat across the aisle from me was Jody. And we started talking on the plane and went, how come you're on the same plane as me? She said, I haven't been on a plane from Lusaka to Andola for three years. And I said, I've never been on a plane from Lusaka to Andola. So when we got off the plane, we were comparing notes about what she was doing uh, in Beyond Ourselves. And I was going, two things. One is God, is, God has set something up here that is different from me being able to ignore that Beyond Ourselves are working there and go, I'm just going to have some training and get out again. I've got to talk. And I went and talked and shared with them. And they said, look, the need here is absolutely enormous. We're working in two schools, and there are hundreds and hundreds of community schools in this area. No problem at all. And I said, well, we've got no intention of sponsoring children here. And then, uh, then I met Melvin, and he said, uh, raising families are pulling out. And I said, well, this is the wrong time to pull out. They've done, run their three-year project, project. They've got nine months to go. It's the wrong time to pull out. Look, the famine is cutting in. There's a, and, the, and he said, but the government has sold all the food that Zambia owned to the Congo. 
at some kind of profit due to corruption. So they haven't got any spare. And I was like, oh, guess what's going to happen next year? Nobody knew in 2019 what was going to happen in 2020. But let me tell you, it wasn't good, was it? And it was a lot worse in places like Zambia, where there was already a famine. And, uh, but by the end of 2019, I had been back to Andola and said, I'm sorry, Grassroots is not a big agency, but I would love to see if we can get a few children into school. And the reason was this. We went into one of the communities, and all that Raising Families was doing was training people in the community, people like you and me, to start their own businesses and working in groups to start your own business. And I said, well, what are you giving them to help them start the bit? Are you giving them grants? And they said, nothing at all. We're just saying, find what you've already got and turn it into a business. And it's all training, but no, no stuff and no money. So I sat with a man called uh, Joshua, and I said, and what have you been doing? He said, well, I've taken my grandmother's old plot of land that I never realized was hers, I have turned it into a place for farming peppers, and uh, then over the last two years, we've learned how to farm peppers and a number of other crops, and my wife, I've discovered, is brilliant on the market stall, so she works in the market stall, and we've got other people from the community together, and we've started to, each of us, start to learn, and she runs the market stall, and everybody sells their stuff on the market stall, and we're making money. And I said, what are you spending on? He said, well, my two children are now in school, which they weren't before. And we're raising enough money with the bit of land for people from the church who just want to, to, to be part of this project but are not doing it for themselves so that we've got another five children into school and got them school uniform. And I said, and how many, people, how many children are there in your community who don't go to school? Oh, he said, oh, about 70 who aren't going to school. Because, but we're going to go on doing this until we've got all of them in school. And I said, how long have you been trying? Oh, two years. I said, they won't be at school soon. He said, no, but we're going to do our best. Then I went down the road to another community, and there was a gentleman there uh, who, he said, this village, which is about 10 square miles, has different centers. We went to two of the centers, and this gentleman came along as an older man. And I said to him, so just tell me, how many children in this village, this one village, even though it's spread across a, number, a big area, are not in school because they haven't got enough money for their school uniform and their user fee? Schools are free in Zambia, but you have to have a user fee. Schools start about the age 10, and then you have community schools, which are run by the local community and parents up to the age of about 10. But almost every school asks for a user fee. So he said, in... The village, my village, he said, there are a thousand children who are not in school because they don't have school uniform. We went through the numbers and the amount of money that we needed was about 50 quid to get a child into school, have a user fee and turn up for a, a meal every now and then in the church. And I said, this is ridiculous. So I went home and I said to my wife, I think we should do this. Even though there are thousands, and we're a tiny charity, really, and where money has been designated for Tanzania, it's got to go to Tanzania. Where it's got to go to Kenya, it's got to go to Kenya. So I said to this chap, Melvin, that's the, the guy who runs it there in the middle, I said, I'm happy for you to take on 25. He said, why can't you take on 750? 
I said, because 750 times 50 is a lot of money to find. 25 times 50 is not so bad, and when we've got 25 sponsors, we'll take on 25 more. He said, okay. And then COVID started. So because COVID started, we couldn't go over there, but they had 25 children. It took me about six months to find 25 sponsors, so we sent them a message saying, take on another 25. And Melvin said, it's okay, but you've got three different... We're working three different communities, three churches, and each of them are providing meals for what was eight children at a time, and now it's going to become 16 children at a time. And I said, it's all I can do. That's how many sponsors we've got, and I'm going to work towards it. So we then got into the middle of 2021, kind of May 2021. Again, we still can't go over there, and we, by then we had about uh, 50 sponsors, and we actually, we'd allow them to take on 10 more children. So they had 60 children on the programs in three different communities. Now remember, this is an organization that works in 150 communities. And every community has got this level of need. And I went, okay, that's right, we need to see if we can increase to 100. Because that's the logical thing, from 50 to 100. And we've got to find the sponsors for them. So uh, back in England, locked in because of uh, covid uh, had a pray, which said to my wife, I think it should be 200. And she said, well, where are we going to find the money? I said, I don't know, but let's see if we can. Uh, but we've got to try and move the number from 50 to 200 rather than 50 to 100. So anyway, we took on 200, and that allowed us to start with five communities with 40 children in each community. And uh, that means that we've now got feeding programs running in five communities rather than in three communities. And uh, we, they were very thrilled. And this is, this is a, a uniform distribution day, which happens in December. So the interviews happen kind of in sept August, September, to find out whether the where the children are at. They, there's detailed information about every child. And then in December, just before the beginning of the school year, which is January, they get given a school pack. And uh, there's another young girl being given a school pack, and that's her name, as you can see. And they get... They get shoes that are the right size. That's quite a remarkable idea in Africa. Uh, and, uh, and also have school uniform that's the right color. And here's a, a whole, this is one of the five communities all receiving their school packs. And then they had silly games afterwards, partly because I asked for a really good photo. They said, what's a really good photo? I said, children looking happy. OK, let's create that. So they worked very hard on that. So that was a good one. Uh, and, and after they get their school pack, they had a feeding program, because a lot of the reason why children do badly in school, and if you ask, um, if you ask anybody in Af uh, who studies Africa, the reason that children do badly in school is because they don't eat very much. It, most of the children in this part of Zambia, if there isn't an intervention like what we do, uh, eat maybe three to four times a week, uh, which I don't know if you've ever had a boy in your house. That is quite a remarkable thing that they're still functioning properly at all. Uh, but these meals go down well. Uh, I, went, I got over there in 22, in August, and this is a letter by Doer's Bible Church, which was read out to me. And it tells you the whole story, so I'm going to read it to you. As Doer's Bible Church, we welcome you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is indeed a great privilege and a blessing for us to see someone who is behind grassroots face-to-face, -face, someone who has a heart and compassion to help people. 
When your organization came to our, to our lives in this community, we saw things changing. The enrollment of children at our community schools started increasing. Parents started bringing children because they smelt a rat. And then in brackets, they noticed that you were giving help to school children. Now, you go, oh, you mean to say people started going there because there was help coming from the West? Well, why not? You know, that's totally reasonable. But it would be good if it was right across the, the region, wouldn't it? Rather than just one place and beginning to gather them there. And, um, yeah, so, anyway, they smelt a rat because stuff was happening. It's just a wonderful phrase. We also thank you for our new dawn government because they've also got a new government. And this is one from a child. My name is Margaret Ferry from Doers Bible Church. I thank you on behalf of our school-going children uh, for, the school, for the shoes, books, pencils, socks, and many more. May God bless you uh, so that you can bless us. Reasonable thing. They often say, we are going to pray for you that you can go on giving to us. Uh, <laughs> now, just so you know, this does not conflict with Mechanics for Africa. Why? Because Mechanics for Africa takes young people who have passed their exams. Uh, these days, they've just set the levels a little bit lower, uh, who want to, get, want to train as mechanics. Kabushi, uh, Vocational Training Center, doesn't do mechanics, does carpentry, catering, uh, sewing. Uh, they can work together, right? But I'll tell you the other thing that's really important is that both of them need to have people in the poor communities who have a relationship with the young people who go, this one needs to be sponsored to do this because they'll never be able to do it otherwise and given a way in, to connect. And this KVTC is involved in these 150 communities across the area. Right, so I think I've just about covered everything. You might be saying, well, why didn't you put this in here? Well, 100% of the money goes to the child, so where are you going to get the money for the leaflet? Somebody says to us, well, where does the admin money come from? Initially, we had no money for admin. We just spent our own. Uh, then we came up with this brilliant idea of telling people we didn't spend any of the money on admin. And then a few people came along and went, that doesn't work. And we went, yeah. And they said, I'll pay for the admin. So there's a couple of people who pay for admin, and then more and more people started to pay for admin. But we don't want to spend the money on admin, do we? Paper costs money. So when we needed to reprint this in 2019 to add this, we decided not to. But online, on the wonderful website, you can print out this form, which includes Zambia. And you can add your thing here, and you can do your standing order. Then there's the other people who say, well, why do you have direct debits? So if I just say that I'm prepared to give it to you and I give you your bank, you just take the money from my bank account because I don't like that, says people. Older people say, I don't like that, but we all do it with our gas bill. Um, and no, we don't. Do you know why? Because direct debit costs the earth. And I don't want to spend money on own, direct debit, the percentage-wise of the amount of money that you give. So much of it gets taken by the bank system that runs the direct debits. So... If you want to give regularly, please do, but set up a standing order. You can do it online yourself, or you can use this form. And you're sitting there going, well, okay, Hugo, I didn't come this morning to wave my purse in front of you and empty it into the bag. Fine, but I was asked to share how this works. I'll tell you how it works. It works because people pray, 
and people give. That's how it works. And why it works is because those people over there are brilliant. The people who actually run the program, I don't know if you can see the attitude of that young girl there, but that is, that is the, the, that's the beginning of the attitude of the average Zambian, right? Uh, they are fantastic, fantastic people. This is a lady over here, uh, uh, and the, 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 the Christine is the one with the red in her hair, right? Now, Christine is actually the coordinator of the project in Doer's Bible Church, which this kind of field is Doer's Bible Church. And she organizes everything there. Her own family is a total mess. All sorts of things have gone wrong. People have died. Also, but she gives her life for the other people in her community. And she does it week in, week out. And that's what holds the whole thing together. Um, and uh, this other lady here is called Joyce. And she's one of the Kabushi team who went there to do some of the interviews. And they are brilliant too. You can see another member of the, uh, there's a chap called Richard there with the glasses. He's another member of the Kabushi team. Retired uh, ex-military person who is now a pastor and in his spare time goes and trains people uh, in there. And there he is again doing another interview with this bunch of children here. And once they've had their interview, they do heights and weights because we've discovered that's a really good way to find out if people are healthy. Age versus with heights and weights is a very good thing to find out whether... And I can tell you, if you know anything about percentiles, they're a long way down. Everybody. Um, and then they draw a picture for their sponsor. We do not have an ongoing pen pal thing because it costs money. And we're trying not to spend it on anything we don't. And then everybody having food. Here are the folks from that church who are providing food. And you can see the scale of food. And that's cooked over wood fire. Cooking rice over a wood fire in that scale, it's done all over the world brilliantly. If I said to the average um, British person, cook food for 60 people over a wood fire with a big pan like that, a few of us would struggle. Um, and washing hands and lots of food. Um, I do want to mention the food. The food is, in Tanzania, the food is included in the sponsorship. We couldn't financially do that in Zambia. So what we do is we try and raise money, £100 per church per month, so that they can provide regular food. So if you want to give to that, you can give to that separately. And do you remember that thing at the beginning where I talked about bless and build? That that works for, for us, but it also could work for you. There are those, I've discovered, who are just following the breadcrumbs and wanting to pray with this. But I've met others who go, I want to be involved with you, but I really don't want the responsibility to ever write a letter to a child or feel responsible for a child. I've met some people, they say, look, I don't know how long I'm going to live. If I take on a child who's six, what happens if I stop sponsoring them after a while? I say, well, at one level, we have to keep on looking after them because that's a commitment. Uh, but we have to find another sponsor for them. They go, well, I don't want that responsibility. And I say, well, not everybody write, writes letters. Money makes a lot of difference anyway. Uh, and they go, oh, but I still don't want the responsibility. I say, okay, just give us money. Okay. Um, so... Uh, you know, the truth is that it makes a lot of difference. I've met, I, over the years, I've been to churches and people have said, don't just give your money, give your life. No, give your money and your life. Um, <laughs> it works. It makes a difference. And a little, and this is our little catchphrase, a little goes an awfully long way in this context. Um, you know, I, at one point, my children were really sick in a hospital in North London. All of them were premature. And I tried to start a charity to support the neonatal ward in our 
Children's Hospital. And I can tell you, the money does not go a long way. <laughs> you can go on raising money forever, and it ends up as a syringe. So, <laughs> but in this context, 51 pounds transforms a child's life. One more story. Uh, there's a chap called Meshach. He was about eight years old when we first met him. So Meshach, in 2019, when he started being sponsored, uh, and he was living with his grandmother because his, both his parents had died. And uh, this year, in 2022, I went uh, and I found on his form that he, wasn't, he hadn't turned up. And Rhoda, who was the lady who is, you can see her there in, in the light blue, she's kind of the administrator. She runs the whole show. Uh, and uh, Rhoda said, oh, I don't know where she is, but I will find it, where he is, but I'll find him. Phone calls got made because everybody has a phone, even if they don't have any food. Uh, and uh, phone calls got made. And later, about two days later, we met Meshach, except he wasn't called Meshach anymore. He was now called Jeremiah. And this is his story. He was living with his mother and father. His father abandoned the family, and then we don't know where he's ever gone. His mother died, and so he went to live with his grandmother. But his grandmother didn't like the name that his mother had given him, which was Jeremiah. So changed his name to Meshach while he was living with her. And in early 2022, the grandmother died. So he was taken in by an aunt back in Andola, and... She didn't like the name the grandmother had given and changed it back to the one the mother had given, which was Jeremiah. And probably about two months later, we met him. And he's no longer living in the community out in the village. He's moved into Andola in the city with his aunt. So I said to Rhoda, I'm really sorry, but if he's not in the community, he can't benefit from the feeding programs he really needs to stop being sponsored. We've only got 40 places, and it, the program has to work. And Rhoda said, you will not stop sponsoring Jeremiah. Like, like this. And I said, why? He's been through too much. If necessary, I will drive him to the community every time. But he's been through too much. You are not taking him off the program. That's what I like about these people that they actually care. And unless you have that, you've got nothing. That's what the difference between just blessing someone and walking away and building. You suddenly have to live with the fact that people have an opinion, a strong opinion at times, and even when they're mucking up the program, they're caring for people. And that's what it's about, isn't it? So, uh, what should I say? Questions? Yeah, okay, so um, you start off with a community that already has a whole bunch of children who are not going to school. Uh, some of them are going to church, 